In the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 7, please. If you turn in your Bible there, John chapter 7, and we want to read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 7. Stand please with me, if you will, as we honor God's Word today. John 7 and 37. John 7 and 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, that's salvation. As the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly there having the idea of the innermost being of a person. He that believeth on me, as Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Thank you, and you may be seated. I began last Sunday a series of messages in the mornings on the Holy Spirit, His work, His person, His ministry. The Holy Spirit has been called the forgotten God because, no question about it, He is the least known and the most misunderstood of any member of the Trinity. Many today are ignorant of Him because it's possible in some cases to go to church and never hear his name mentioned, certainly not frequently mentioned. In other places, he is known, but he is neglected, and others even resist him. They don't even want to acknowledge his presence in their life. My aim as a pastor in this series of messages is that to teach you that you would be well taught doctrinally about the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God. But not only that you would be well taught, but that I would raise your awareness and your consciousness that you would not go a single day and not think about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, this week someone told me that the message that I had brought that already they were more aware of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I would like to raise everyone's consciousness and level of understanding and awareness to where you would live in a constant sense that God is in me and with me and nothing would be a more transformative or life-changing event in your life than just to become very, very aware of the Holy Spirit. You will notice here that Jesus used the word thirst, if any man thirst. And I would like to be able to create a hunger and a thirst in your hearts for the fullness, the filling, the power, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, this morning early I received a text from Dennis Nunn, an evangelist who lives over in the Atlanta area. And Dennis said, I was thinking about you and Norma 
And I was praying for y'all this morning, and I'm just praying that the Lord would give you a very special anointing on your message today, Bill. And I texted him back, and I said, Dennis, it's incredible that you would mention that subject, isn't it? Because today's the second in a series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that I will have that anointing, but I want you to have that. Preachers are not special people. I have no privileges or no claims that you do not have as a believer. As Baptists, we very strongly believe in that doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, that God looks upon us all as being very equal and being the same. Now, for the next few minutes, I'd like to make my first point, and I don't want you to try to follow me in your Bible other than the first verse that I'll call. And the first verse is on the first page of the Bible in the book of Genesis. I'll help you find that if you need a little help on that. But Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to see with your own eyes this passage, and then the rest of them I'll go very quickly through. If you want to write down the references, you could look them up a little bit later. The first point I'd like to make in the message this morning is that the Holy Spirit is present and He's active throughout the entire canon of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is present and He is active all the way through the Scripture. And let's look first at his activity in the Old Testament. And you don't have to go into the Bible very far before you discover the Holy Spirit, do you? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, deity, a member of the Trinity, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so from the very first chapter from the creation story, we have the Holy Spirit present and active. I then go over to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. And there we are in the midst of the story of a man named Joseph. And Joseph, through many different circumstances, ends up working in the palace with the Pharaoh, who at that time, the king, was the king of the world's superpower, the great Egyptian empire. And in, the, in Genesis 41 and 38, the Pharaoh is describing this man, Joseph, who has come to work with him. And here's how he describes him. He is a man in whom the Spirit of God is a man who is characterized by the Spirit of God working in his life. There was an aroma. There was an, uh, an aura, if you will, about Joseph that even a pagan king could see that this man knew and served Almighty God. We go to Exodus chapter 31 and verse number 5 where there's a man named Bezalel. And Moses is looking for craftsmen, for carpenters, for men who work with their hands, men who have gifts in craftsmanship to help him make and build the implements that they're going to use in the, in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And God speaks to him and says, there's a man named Bezalel. And if you will find him, here's how God 
described him. I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding to work in gold and silver, to carve woods, wood, and he said to cut stones. And so every one of the crafts that were needed in the manufacturing of these implements, God said, I have a man and I have filled him with my spirit so that he can have skills even in workmanship and craftsmanship. Isn't it amazing? You see, many of us think that the work of the Holy Spirit is confined to preachers and missionaries and people in the Lord's service full-time or whatever, just to the so-called leadership of Christianity. But no, God wants even spirit-filled carpenters and workers among stones and wood carvers and so on, as the case may be here. We go to the book of Numbers, chapter 11, and verse number 25. Moses is fatigued. He has been leading about 2 million Israelites across the desert now for many years, and he is absolutely worn out. And God says to him, look, Moses, it's time for you to begin to delegate responsibility to responsible men. And I've selected these 70 elders to assist in leadership here in the nation of Israel. I want to take the load off of you. And then here's how the scripture describes it. God took of the spirit that was upon Moses. That was the Holy Spirit. He took of the spirit that was upon Moses and gave it to the 70 elders. And so now instead of one man leading the congregation who is a spirit-filled man, obviously he ought to be, the leader of the congregation ought to be spirit-filled. But God said, now I'm going to take that same spirit and I'm going to impart it to 70 of these elders because I want all of our leadership to be spirit-filled leaders. Take note, deacons. Take note, Sunday school teachers. Take note, staff members. It's not the Lord's will that just the pastor and the leader be filled with the Spirit. It's that all the leadership at every level be filled with the Spirit. Amen? And, And going through the Old Testament further, you see the life of Gideon. And over and over it says, and the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. We see Samson, who did miracles, wonderful things. He took the jawbone of an ass, the Bible says, and he killed a a thousand Philistines. Now, you know, in my semi-skeptical days, I thought, how would that be possible that one man could kill a thousand people? Because I was looking at it from a humanistic worldview. But if you can get over into the realm where you understand that the Holy Spirit of God, a member of the Trinity, came and assisted him, you won't have any trouble. You could even believe that one man killed a thousand with a wet noodle if the Holy Spirit was working in that operation, couldn't you? So it wasn't the strength of Samson. Don't think of Samson as one of these guys who goes to the gym every day and who eats nothing but powdered protein and all that stuff. Samson may have looked like Bill Monroe. He might have looked like you, just an ordinary man. And yet when the Spirit of God came upon him, he pulled down an entire pagan temple, didn't he? 
you don't have any trouble with the miracles once you fully understand the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. And so you have Samson, and later you have Saul, the first king, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And as long as he was spirit-filled, he was a wonderful king. And then you have David who comes, and then following him, his son Solomon. And in every case, there are scriptures that describe that these men were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Daniel is one of my very favorite uh, characters throughout the Bible. And in Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 8, Nebuchadnezzar, another pagan king of a great Babylonian empire at that time, Nebuchadnezzar said about Daniel, in him is the spirit of the holy gods. In him is the spirit of the holy gods. He could see the spirit-filled life of Daniel, and Daniel became the prime minister, if you will. Daniel was in a high administrative governmental position, and yet he is a spirit-filled, anointed man of God. And then we get into the prophets in the Old Testament. And each of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and on through the minor prophets. And in every case, they were spirit-filled men. How do I know that? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 in the New Testament describes the inspiration, the inerrancy of the entire Scripture. And in and mentioning it, here's what Peter said. Holy men of God, speaking of those prophets, holy men of God spake as they were moved. And that word moved has the idea of being borne along. Like the wind gets in the sails of a sailboat and pushes it across the water. Holy men of God spake as they were pushed along, moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And then we come to the life of the Lord Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. And we find that the Holy Spirit is active in the life of the Lord Jesus. First of all, the virgin birth was the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, the Annunciation. And the angel said to Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will be found with child of the Holy Ghost. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He goes there to the water, and John walks him into the Jordan River, and he baptizes him, and the Bible says the voice of God sounded. And the, a dove came and lit upon his shoulder, representing the Holy Spirit. And here he is, the second person of the Trinity, standing in the water, undergoing the rite of baptism, we have the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, one of the few places in the Bible where the entire Trinity is gathered together in one scene. And then the Holy Spirit descended on him. And that was symbolic, of course, but in Luke chapter 4, the very next chapter, just a few verses later, and verse 1, here's one of the most mysterious verses in all the Scripture to me. It says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, did you know that everything that Jesus did upon this earth, listen to me carefully, this is a 
major doctrinal point. Everything that Jesus did upon the earth as a man, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He laid aside his deity according to Luke, or pardon me, according to Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself and he became a man like us. He never ceased to be God. Let me be clear on that. He was always God. But he laid aside the prerogatives and the privileges that he could have had as God. And he operated as a perfect spirit-filled man throughout his life. He depended upon the spirit for his power as a human being. To example for us that we too can have a power in our lives that we did not have until we knew Christ. And then he died on the cross, lay in the tomb for three days, and was resurrected. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the apostle Paul tells us the power that raised him from the dead. Romans 8 and 11, the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is the spirit that dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit was active and present at the virgin birth, throughout his ministry, at his baptism, at his temptation when he went into the wilderness. He was filled with the Spirit when he did those miracles. And then when he resurrected from the dead, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active in all those cases. Now, sometime during the ministry of Jesus, we come to what we call a new dispensation. Dispensation means a new covenant. It means a new way, a different way of God dealing with humankind. And so we come now to the text that I read to you, where Jesus stood one day in the temple, and he said to the people, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he likened it to a river of water flowing out of the innermost being of the people who believed on him. Note the word believe there is a very important word in John chapter 7 and verse 38 because that means believers are the ones who will have this experience, that can have this experience. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a, a river of water proceeding, flowing out of our innermost being, out of our souls. Turn with me, if you will, over in the book of John a little further to chapter 14 and verse 16. This is the passage that was our text last Sunday morning. And in John 14 and in verse number 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, last Sunday morning, I described how the disciples were depressed because Jesus had just told them he was leaving. They were divided. They had been debating among themselves who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they were not only divided and depressed, but they were discouraged because Judas had just walked out of the room here. And so now they were losing people. And so this was a very low time for them emotionally and spiritually. And Jesus stands before them and he promises them that the comforter will come. Another member of the Trinity, 
another of the same nature, one just like him, and that the comforter will come. And the word comforter there, as I told you last week, is paraclete, meaning one who is a helper, one who is your advocate before the throne of God, one who will assist you in the troubles and trials of life, who will bring the balm of Gilead to your soul when your heart is broken. He promised them this, and notice he promised them that this would be a permanent event in their lives. Look in chapter 14, verse 16. Look at the end of the verse. That he may abide with you forever, forever. The Holy Spirit is not a commuter who goes and he comes back and forth and in and out. You don't have to worry about losing the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your life. He will abide with you, say it with me, forever, forever. So this is a permanent thing. Well, the next day Jesus dies. He's in the tomb for three days, but it didn't take him long to fulfill his promise. Turn to John chapter 20, and you will see his promise fulfilled here with, his, with the apostles. And so we're at John 20, and we're at verse 19. And the same day, that's resurrection day. That's the, in the morning, he resurrected. The same day in the evening, this is the evening of the first Easter Sunday, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus. He stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be still. And for the sake of time, go down to verse number 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. I told you last week that the Greek word for spirit is breath, air, wind. And Jesus breathed on his disciples. I don't know how he did that. (sighs) Perhaps. And he said, I want you to receive the holy breath, the holy air, the holy wind, because that was the way they thought of a spirit being. I want you to receive this. And so Jesus was not very long in keeping his promise, was he? About three days, four days. And now the the disciples have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So many people, I think, have erred in their teaching here because they teach that the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. No, he came right here. You receive the Holy Spirit is what he's saying to his disciples. Now, the other Christians hadn't received the Holy Spirit. That happened at Pentecost. But the 11 remaining disciples received the Holy Spirit directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 20 and verse 22. And then he says something strange to them. It's not recorded here in John. Flip back to the book of Luke in the very last chapter of the book of Luke. And I'm turning you here a lot, but I want you to see this. I want you to mark it in your Bible and not forget it. It's very basic to the understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. In Luke chapter number 24 and verse 49, just before he ascended, which would have been 40 days after they had received the Holy Spirit themselves. 
Luke 24 and 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit again. But I want you to wait, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he says, you go to the city of Jerusalem. Don't go out across the world yet. Go back into the city. Wait. And we know that they prayed for 10 days after that. Wait and pray. And the Holy Spirit is going to endue you with power. What a great phrase. Would you like to be endued with power? Was the endowment of power just for the apostles in Jesus' day? Or do you and I have a shot at being endued with the power? Is there something else about the Christian life that you haven't experienced yet? Do you ever hunger and thirst for God's power and God's presence in a new and fresh way in your life? You see, here's America today. You get saved, you get baptized over here at the Baptist church, and then uh, you come to church on Sunday morning, and if you're really dedicated, you come back on Sunday night, and if you're really on the margins, you might come back even on Wednesday night. And, you know, you give them some money, and you, every now and then, you volunteer for a project, and that's Christianity. And it's no wonder that people burn out and quit. The choir sung about finishing well. Wasn't that a great message in that song? Do you want to finish well? Well, you have to grow. You can't just say, I'm going to practice Christianity at the least common denominator. I, I want the minimum requirements like they have on the vitamin bottle. No, no. There's more. And the Holy Spirit is the key to that. Drawing you closer to the Lord. Giving you a more intimate experience with Almighty God to worship Him to know His will, to have wisdom in your day-by-day -day decisions, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit, to endue you with power, which I'll talk about in a moment. Now, you begin to go down through your Bible, and you won't have time for all of these. I'll just have to read them. I've had them put on the screen for you. But there's various terms used in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts that describe this power of the Holy Spirit that is available to God's people. And various terms are used, and honestly, it, it can be confusing unless you really do study it astutely. I mean, you have to labor uh, the Lord didn't make this easy for us for whatever reasons known only to Him. But for example, in Luke here, chapter 24 and verse 29 or 49, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, you may want to copy down these references if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if you really want to study this on your own. Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. He then refers to it as being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
And then you go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and he talks about the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that he will act, and we are passive. He comes upon us. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The filling of the Holy Spirit is probably the most common way we hear it described. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, he talks about pouring out my Spirit upon all mankind, pouring out my Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 17, that the gospel went to the Gentiles, and it says they received the Holy Ghost. It was something they received. Acts chapter 10 and verse 45 on the Gentiles was poured out the gift to the Holy Ghost again. Since Acts chapter 2, listen to me carefully, since Acts chapter 2, every single Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in at the moment that we're saved. Now, it'll be worth your time to turn with me to another reference. I know I'm wearing you out on turning, but just turn on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 because I'd like for you to underline that or mark it in your Bible. Words cannot be clearer. I, you, you can't get confused about this. Every Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me on that? Every Christian, the poorest, most carnal Sorry believer in the whole world, if he, if he or she is truly saved, they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to think this is about super Christianity. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, you are the temple of God. Temple means dwelling place. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Doesn't that make that very clear? You don't have to pray and say, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you already possess the Holy Spirit. And we use the term, he indwells you. He indwells you. He lives in you. Jesus said he'll abide forever. You say, well, I didn't feel it. I didn't have any sense. No, you don't. He is a spirit. Just like the wind blows and you can see the effects of the wind, but you cannot see the wind. In the same way, the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And as a believer, people ought to be able to see the effects of the wind, but they don't see the wind. He dwells in me permanently. Romans 8 and 9 even goes further and says this, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, that's the primary characteristic of the Christian. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit enters into our body, and He lives here, and He dwells here, which leads me to the last point, a new mandate now. We had a new dispensation, a new way of God sending the Holy Spirit to live in us permanently in every believer, where in the Old Testament, He would come and go upon people for various tasks that he assigned them. Now he lives in every believer. Now what's the new mandate? Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. Interesting verse. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that, isn't that strange that he would talk about being drunk and being filled with the Spirit in the same verse? <laughs> That's a strange juxtaposition of ideas and a strange contrast here. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but there's many similar characteristics of a drunken, intoxicated person and a spirit-filled person. I'll just give you one. Boldness. You ever seen somebody gets drunk and they get very bold? They just get, I mean, they just lose all their inhibitions and they want to, you know, they'll fight Superman. The character, what's one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled Christian? He's bold. There's a bunch more. I just don't have time to go down that road, but it's really very interesting. Now, notice here, negative, don't be drunk with wine. But God's alternative to drunkenness is to be filled with the Spirit. And what I want you to distinguish is the difference in being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, and being indwelled by the Spirit. You see, every Christian is indwelled, but not every Christian is filled. To be filled is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about filling you up with the Spirit like you fill up a glass full of water. Actually, the idea is control. And just like the alcohol controls the intoxicated person, they're totally under the influence. That's the term we use, isn't it? You know what a Spirit-filled person is? He or she is under the influence. <laughs> They're under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Like the wine and the alcohol causes a person to act in a certain way, being filled with the Spirit controls my behavior in another way completely. And we'll be talking about that in coming messages. Don't be drunk with wine. But something better, God said, I have for you. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Here's the way to look at it. We are indwelt one time. We're filled many times. One indwelling, many fillings. One indwelling, at the moment of my salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live in my body. Many fillings. I'll give you an example. In Acts 2 and 3, it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Same people in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 are filled again. You see, Many fillings. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17, Paul is filled with the Spirit. In chapter 13 and verse 9, he is filled again. Now, why should you care? Is this just theology 101 that I'm teaching today? Is this just theory? Is this just very esoterical out there in the skies type of spiritual mumbo-jumbo? No, 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 no. Let me tell you why in 2017, you and I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Notice Ephesians 5.18, by the way, is a mandate. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Let me tell you why you need it. What's the purpose? I can say it in one word. The purpose of you being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is to have power, spiritual power, not financial power or physical power or even intellectual power. The purpose of you and me seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to have spiritual power in my life. Let me describe what I mean. As of today, we have 568 people who have filled out the Andrews Army card. Boy, I'm so thrilled about that. Meaning, I intend to witness for the Lord, to give out a tract, to bring people to church, to share the gospel with people. I'm praying that before I go home to glory, that the Lord's going to give me at least one soul, that I'm not going to go to heaven empty-handed And 568 of you have signed up so far. I I really pray that we're going to go past 600. So if you haven't, I want you to. But here's what I mean by being spirit-filled. Above all the other areas in which we need God's power, it's in the area of witnessing. And you read the book of Acts, and you know what you find? Over and over and over, it says they were filled with the Spirit, and they witnessed. They said, they spake. When people are full of the Holy Spirit of God, they, their mouth opens. There's no such thing as a silent witness. That's an oxymoron. That's like a grape nut. It's not grape and it's not nut. There's no such thing as a silent witness. And when we're filled with the Spirit, God opens our mouth. Even timid people, even timid people become aware that God can use me to talk to people about the gospel and about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we witness, we need the Holy Spirit to come and work in that person to whom we're witnessing, to work in their heart in such a manner that something happens that I can't control as the witness, but that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And He gives those people a desire to know the Lord. That's a Spirit-filled witness. But I need power in other areas of my life. I need power to withstand opposition and persecution. And by the way, American Christians, it's coming. Unless there's a radical change in this country, the day's going to come when you're going to have to perhaps decide between your job or your family member's friendship and your faith in Jesus Christ. All the signs are on the horizon. I don't mean to be radical, but I'm telling you, when you see the clouds, you know the storm is coming. And there are forces in this country that hate Christianity. They hate what we're doing. Read the news. Are we going to just fall over and give in and acquiesce? Or are we going to say, God, fill us with your spirit 
You gave people power to withstand lines and fires in those Roman arenas. God, give me that same power to stand up for you in America. I need that power to overcome temptation and to live a godly life. Man, are we in a wicked time. Have you been reading about all the sexual abuse and the immorality? And boy, I tell you, every day it's new headlines. And we live in such a time of temptation and seduction and sexuality that's been so distorted now. How am I as a man and as a woman going to live and keep my heart pure and my mind clean? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord can't hear me. I can't do it. The only way I can overcome the temptation is to have the Holy Spirit of God directing me. It's the only way I can keep my mind clear, clean. Well, preacher, do preachers have trouble get, keeping their mind clean? Every day. But you're 74. I ain't dead. Absolutely. We all have that, and it's thrust in our face, the vileness of this culture. Oh, I need the Holy Spirit to help me overcome that and to live godly. I need His power to help me to overcome fear and anxiety because there's so many things to fear. I need His power to reproduce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, humility, faith, self-control. For without Him, I can do nothing. Isn't that what Jesus said? Oh, I need His power in my life today. The greatest need of America today is to see Christians begin to live like the people of God, spirit-filled lives under the control of the Spirit of God. I had another point, but I won't bring it. I'll save it for you, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible gives us clear, specific instructions about how we can have that anointing in our life. However, the last chapter of the Bible, I've taken you through much of the Bible today to show you the work of the Holy Spirit. The last page of your Bible, he's on the first page at creation. He's on the last page at chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And I wonder if there aren't people in this congregation today and watching on the television, and you say, you know what? I know I've sinned against the Lord, and I've never really come to that point where I have assurance that I'm forgiven. I need Christ in my life. I need him as my Savior today. I need him to come and wash away my sins with his blood that he shed on Calvary. And today I have such a deep conviction of my sin. I so need the Lord Jesus Christ to save me today.
Are you here like that today? Do you feel the need of salvation in your life? If you do, that's the Holy Spirit. That's his convicting and his drawing power. And if you're not sure, oh, come today. Let him that is a thirst come. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.